greatest generation. And uh, she used to use this phrase when she just was at a loss for words. She would just look at me and go, good gravy. I was like, well, gravy is good. So, you know, just at a loss for words, 2020 is kind of feeling like that. And, you know, some of those headlines that incite fear and division and, you know, my favorite church and coronavirus, a dangerous combination. <laughs> like, come on. And, uh, you know, this is the place we're at. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks asking that question, right? We're going to look right at it. Look right into the face of the questions that we're all asking. What now? Because here's the reality. One of the things we've talked about as a society is, can we go back to normal? What is the new normal? We've used words like pivot. Anybody tired of the word pivot? <laughs> I think my wife and I were having this conversation. It's like, if I hear the word pivot one more time, I'm going to go crazy. Anybody tired of Zoom chat? Yeah. All of it, right? And so we just are in this place. And as the video kind of reminded us just by showing a couple of headlines that we're in a place as a culture, as a nation, that we're divided, we're fearful, and frankly, ill-equipped to handle this cultural moment. We live in a, a society that is looking for answers. Even just a local thing that I've noticed is we don't start our broadcast with coronavirus numbers. They're not high enough to freak people out at the moment. And so it's just all of these things coming at us, all of these things, and then the economy and the storms, and you know what I'm talking about. We're in the middle of this tiring moment and then we learn about Jacob Blake and I was talking with Pastor Jerome this week and he just said I'm tired I'm tired and I think that is warranted and so I thought first one of our values at Redeemer City Church is that we pray. And so I thought we should just put our practice where our theology is and take a moment to pray. To take a moment to ask God for wisdom for us as the body of Christ. But also that we would pivot <laughs> into our calling, right? Because here, here's what is obvious. The world is scrambling for answers. And not finding them. This election, this is not a political sermon, but I want you to know that this election will not solve this culture's problems. It's not going to. If you're watching online today... This election is not going to solve our problems. And so we pray first. And then we're going to look at God's word second. Okay? Let's pray. God, I am grateful for Jesus. Jesus, when you stepped out of heaven... 
and everything that accompanies being seated at the right hand of your father. To not grasp onto your deity being God, but to set that aside, not to lose it, but to set it aside and wrap yourself in humanity and be born in a stable, in a feed trough, in a town that was a nobody so that you could live a sacrificial life, die a sacrificial death so that your family, your church, your kids, us, might have life. And Jesus, you said when you were walking on this earth that we could have it to the full, that our joy could be full. And so in these moments, we look to you. We need you in this moment. We've looked to our politics. We've looked to our abilities. We've looked to all the things and idols that we have that we look to. And control has been wrestled away from us. And so we need something outside of ourselves, Lord. We need you. And so I pray that you would give wisdom. I pray that you would be with the people of this nation. As we look into one of the ugly sins that surrounds us. In the racial tension of this country. It's your word that paints a picture that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will worship together around your throne in heaven. And so we ask for that. I pray that the church, that Jesus, your body, would lead the way. Not so that we might protect freedoms that we've been afforded in this country, but that we would love people as we love ourselves. That we would love because you first loved us. And so we pray first, knowing that, Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us up and overflow out of our lives. We pray that the church in this country would rise up and point people to you. That Ephesians chapter 3, the dividing wall of hostility in your church would be broken down. And that what your desire and your will is in your church would be reality. Would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Be with Redeemer City Church right now. That as we gather online, in person, as we look to city groups, that you would speak to us in this next season, this fall, as we gather around your word and around the things you've called us to. The gathering of your people is essential business. Partaking in 
your body and your blood is essential business. Preaching the word is essential. And so I pray that as we unite around those things that you would build your church. Not just on Sunday, but day by day, just as you laid out for us. And so we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and use us. Would we be a light in our city? I pray for every church in Tampa right now that we would unite to lead our city towards you. And as we say around here, would you redeem this city and make it your own? And if you would see fit to use the weak things of the world like us to do it, we want to be here and available and be on mission for you. We love you. Thankful for Jesus today. And all of God's people said, Amen. What now? Right? What now? What do we take this moment and move forward? The Bible throws that question at the nation of Israel a lot through the Old Testament. One of those places is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and it begins like this. It says, And now, Israel... We don't have time to look through all the backstory, but maybe you can this week. But the scripture says, now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? What a great question for you and for me and for you online, for all of us as the body of Christ and even specifically Redeemer City Church to ask ourselves. We could just replace that with church. And now church, what now church, what does the Lord require of you? It's funny, I got a text on Friday um, from a political party. And I, how do they get your phone number? Right? Like, I didn't give anybody my phone number. But they got it. Somebody sold them my phone number. And this certain party was, you know, you know, wanting people to get out and vote and all those things and, you know, whatever. And then at the end of it, it said this, Mitch, like they know me, come on, said, Mitch, can we count on your vote? And I was like, well, I'm looking at my options. No, you can't count on my vote. I need to see a whole lot more out of you. Right. And. It reminds me that the Lord has asked us that question. What does the Lord require of you? And for the next really five weeks, I want to look through that. And the last three will really lay out the vision of Redeemer City Church. But before we get to those three weeks... We need a couple weeks to just ask ourselves in scripture, what is it that God requires of his people? You see, because I start in the Old Testament because the Bible says that God is the same yesterday. Come on, you know it, don't you? Today and what? Forever. God hasn't changed, but we do, don't we? We go through the 
mountaintops and the valleys of life and we experience the highs and the lows of life. And even in our own country, I think that prior to this, the thing that was touted was just how great our economy was. And boom, in an instant, a pandemic can wrestle control away from humans, can it? And my point is not to argue about those things, but just to simply say that we're not in control of as much as we think we are. Our life has been disrupted in a big way. And so we just spent the summer walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And it really culminated in this idea where Jesus says two things that come out and rise above all of the Sermon on the Mount as really the pinnacle of what God has called his people to do from the mouth of Jesus. And he says this, be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. And then you would go a little farther and Jesus would say, and however you want others to treat you, you treat them that way. And in that instance, when you look at the question, what does the Lord require of you? And the answer that comes back is perfection and treating every other person. And I use political examples before I said that verse, because that is the thing. Can you look across the aisle and maybe you're not a political person, but whatever it is, whether it's a racial tension, whether it's. Anything that you have a staunch belief in, are you able to do what Jesus did and look across and see that person as made in the image of God and valuable to the one who created it? If we can't get there, we can't get anywhere because God came and what did they accuse him of? Being a drunk because of who he hang out with. Being a sinner because of who he hung out with. Surely God would never spend time at that dinner table. Where did Jesus go? Right to that dinner table. I mean, God would never lean in and do life with a tax collector. Where did he go? Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree. We're going to go have dinner at your house. Not Jesus' house, where the environment was set and safe. No, no. He went to Zacchaeus' house, where everybody was going to look at him and say, what does the Lord require of us? Not what's comfortable, not what feels good, but what is God saying to us in this moment? As I look around, just even in this moment, one of the great struggles for the Capital C Church is that in so many ways where we have answers from God, we lag behind our culture. I mean, how fast was it this week that the NBA, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, and the NHL were all immediate to respond to this cultural moment? And whether you agree with their move or not, what is clear is that they moved and what do we do at church we gotta we gotta have seven meetings and you know vote on it and you know then half of the people are going to be angry when reality is god has laid out for us exactly what we do in these moments 
we pray and we love people as we love ourselves. That is never the wrong move to make, is it? It's not. And now, now hear me, because I know some of you are going to be like, but, but what about the truth, Mitch? The Bible says the truth sets you free. That's right. The truth sets you free. But, no, but somebody who you have pushed away so far that they can't hear you will never hear the truth and be set free. Because what does scripture say? Romans 1 lays out all these things that God wants from his people. And we point to that, but we forget that the very same book says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We cannot separate the things that God did not separate. And so for a long, long time, we enjoyed this experiment in the United States of America called Christendom for 50 or 60 years. And in case you have not seen it, it's gone. It's gone. It used to be socially acceptable and even beneficial for you to belong to a church. And it's not that way anymore. But what is true, as you look through the annals of church history, is that the best thing that has ever happened to the church is persecution. The less comfortable it is to be a Christian, the more it seems that God moves with power. Amen? Think about that. Because for a long time, and I, church, honestly, just I was, I've been guilty of this, is that we have looked at church on a weekly basis instead of a daily basis. And here's the reality that we've learned in the midst of a pandemic, that Jesus is bigger than Sunday. Can I get an amen in church? A louder one, please. <laughs> We're here on Sunday, some of us. And some of us can't be, and so we're online, and we're realizing that we need more than one big gathering a week to be who God has called us to be. We can't segment our Christian life and being a Christian to following Jesus on Sunday. It has to be bigger than that. We have to wake up as the body of Jesus Christ. Just think about this one example. I was reading a Barna article. Barna does a lot of research and is respected in that way. And so I was reading this Barna research article and they were making the case that in a large way, the body of Christ and the leaders in the body of Christ are missing a certain moment. And they weren't offering solutions to it. They just bring research and say, hey, pastors, hey, elders, hey, body of Christ, figure this out. And what the study was, was about media and digital media consumption. I hope this blows your mind like it does mine. But the study looked at the average millennial and Gen Z media consumption per week. 3,000 hours. Or maybe it's a month. You do the math. It's a month. It's a month. It's not a week. It says month right here in my notes. I should read it. Month. That's a lot of week. That's a lot in a week, huh? A month. The rest of humanity. Listen to this. The rest of humanity. Three hundred. We don't understand each other. 
Right? We, we say things like, those dang kids. <laughs> right? Because there's just a total miss. Right? You know, Gen Z, I think, was the first uh, group that was what is called a digital native. They just, they've never known a moment without a device. My four-year-old can open my phone, turn on a show, adjust the volume right, ask for popcorn. <laughs> it's just a different world. I'm not even old. Well, depends who I ask. But I don't feel old. And when I was growing up as a kid, we didn't have phones. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of that stuff. And so there's been this shift and. Just that one example, we, we see how quickly we can miss each other. And that's just one simple example. You can go on and on to more. But as we think about what it looks like to be the church, what is clear is that we have to be in closer proximity to each other to understand each other. When you look back at that early church in Acts chapter 2, I want you to notice a couple things that it says here in Acts 2, 46 and 47 about what God required of his people. Okay, listen, listen to what it says here in Acts 2, 46 and 47. It says, and what? Day by day. Day by day. What were we doing? Day by day. Attending the temple, what? Together. And breaking bread in their, what? Homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with how many people? All people. There were young people. There were old people. There were middle-aged people. There were handicapped people. There were all people. They enjoyed favor with all people. How, how do you get there? You you. You cannot understand what somebody's going through until you know that person, right? When you, when somebody is crying out, when somebody is oppressed, we don't just determine what they're going through. We have to come to the table and listen to what they're going through, Right? Not just what we've been told politically, not just what we've been told growing up, not just any, let's come to the table. Let's be together and ask that question and understand each other. And it goes on, says, what happened by them being in closer proximity to each other, experiencing favor with each other, as they were listening to the word, as they were breaking bread, as they were experiencing communion, as they were baptizing people. What was happening as they were in closer proximity to each other? It says, and the Lord added to their number, what? Day by day, those who were being saved. You want to know what the greatest evangelistic strategy for the church of Jesus Christ is? To be together. Day by day. Doing what the church does. A unified church is the best witness to a ununified world. Somebody needs to write that down. A unified church 
is the best witness to an ununified world. And Jesus said as much in the book of John, didn't he? John 17, that was what he prayed for. That his church would be one. And that because of that, the world could look at a light set on a hill, Sermon on the Mount, and see something different. They have lights, they have screens, and they're better than ours. <laughs> if, if we just need a concert, we can go to a concert. Well, not right now, but eventually. Right? But what's different about our gathering? What's different about our worship? What's different about our TED Talk? God meets us there. And if that's not true, then we're wasting our time, aren't we? And so... Day by day, it is the praising of God and the Lord adding to what we do that does anything of value. That's why Jesus said in John fifteen five, I quote it as often as possible, apart from Jesus, you can do how much? Nothing. <laughs> Not a little bit. Nothing. It's powerful. So according to the Bible, we have to be a lot more relational to reach people. We have to be a lot more unified. Here, let me say it to you this way. We cannot live our own segregated, comfortable lives through the week and show up, on here, show up here on Sunday expecting God to move. That is not what God required of his church. And so this is kind of a where we're at talk. Right? We'll get to some other things here in a second, but we have to assess what the problem is, right? We need each other. We love Sunday, but that's a small part of who we are. It's the celebration. It's when we come off the battlefield and celebrate Jesus together as one church. It's beautiful. It's necessary. It's commanded frankly, in Hebrews, that we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You need this. God made you that way. That's all the bad news. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's all the bad news. What about the good news? Here's the good news. There's never been a better time in the history of the world than right now for Redeemer City Church to pivot into our calling. Because this is not a radical change in activity, as we learned in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a radical change of heart. It's a radical change of heart. Mallory mentioned city groups. We want to be about it. We don't want to just announce it and get you to like check something off on a list. We want you to day by day be involved with the people of God. And we'll, we'll give some suggestions on how you can do that and, and how you might lead that. But at the end of the day, it's you being together with the people of God that somebody would be in your life. All kinds of things happen. Even down to this, that the scripture tells us that God is faithful to forgive us our sins, but the healing comes by telling somebody else. James tells us. We want you to experience freedom. We say around here, love God, share good news, serve the city, look up, look in, look out, do all of those things because we really believe that if you go in with God and his people, you will find the freedom that you're looking for and out of that, you'll discover your purpose. 
Because God made every single one of you, every one of you watching online, on purpose for a purpose. I love that statement. God does not make mistakes, Ephesians 2.10. Right? We're His workmanship created in Christ for good works. We believe that to be communities on mission. That we would look at our street and our neighborhood and own that dirt and say, if I'm in here, God's in here. And it has to be a change of heart to begin to look up, as Jesus said, and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. What did he say the problem was? Not the harvest, the laborers. The workers are few. We've got to get serious about the day-to-day life as the people of God. And then the gathering will take care of itself. So if that's where we're at, what now? What are you going to say to all that? Let's go back to where we started in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 10... When that question came, and now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Let's look at the answer. Let's look at the answer. It says this. What does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. And that sounds harsh, but what does it say? I'm commanding you that today. Why? For your good. What a statement. Only God can make that statement. Do this because it's for your good. And say that with complete integrity. That if you will walk in his ways... You will experience the good that he has for you. For your good, flourishing, peace, prosperity. That's what that word good means in Hebrew. What God has in mind for you is not that you would shape up and toe the line. But that you might experience life to the full the way he made you to experience it. And if he's the creator and you're the created, you will only experience that flourishing that you long for. That life to the full that he offers if you do it his way. If we do it our way, we will mess it up every single time. So as we begin this series, as we begin looking at what does the Lord require of us as a church body, as a family of God. Let's begin here. Five keys to peace. Five keys to peace. If you want to write them down, I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. Number one, it comes straight out of the text. Fear God. Fear God. It's important that we understand what this means for us today. Because it's only if we truly fear the Lord that all the other fears that you have in this life can melt away. When we understand that God sits above everything else and all the other things sit as his footstool, as the New Testament tells us. That we can truly trust that no matter what happens to me, Romans tells us, is for my good because I love God. This kind of 
fear is actually the thing that can allow us to experience freedom. Because what happens is we end up getting trapped and pulled by those natural things that cause us anxiety, those natural things that cause us fear, those things that are just outside of our control. We're living in one of those in the midst of this pandemic. A lot of fear, right? Church and coronavirus, a dangerous combination. (laughs) What's the only thing that allows you and I to say, that's not true? Because we have God on our side. And he offers us wisdom to do this in the right way. In a wise way, in a safe way. And we're doing that. But we will get trapped in fear if we don't understand that fearing God is to understand that God is both loving and just. That there is a two-dimensional side of his character that allows us to trust him. That when things in this world are not right and they are broken, that there is a God who will eventually make all things right. And in this moment, he's using his church to give us a partial taste of what is right and what is good and what can be. We have to find that even when the world is not finding that. And so what that word brings us, what the word fear brings us then, if this is for our good and for our flourishing, that word fear then is really this idea that God is awesome. That God is awesome. And that's just really the best word for it because you, you know what it's like. You've stood at the beach or you've stood at a mountain or you've been on top of a mountain or you've been in an airplane and looked out across the mountains and you've gone from a storm on the ground and gone through the clouds to the sun and thought, man, that is awesome. That's what that word means. There is a fear. This plane goes down. I'm toast. If that avalanche comes... Done. There's just a healthy fear there. It's awesome. That's God. That's God. He is awesome. That gives you proper perspective in life. It changes who you trust because he's awesome. So we fear God. Number two, we walk in God's ways. Not mine. By the way, this might be the hardest one. Because in this country, we're taught to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, to make a plan, get it done, work harder, try more. You can do this. What's wrong with you? But what does Ephesians 2.10 say? Let's put it back up and look at it. It says, you were created in Christ Jesus. That you're his workmanship. Created for what? Good works that He prepared, that God prepared what? Beforehand. He wrote the manual to your life before you were a life. He knows exactly what he's called you to do. And then what's it say? That we should what? Walk in them. God has a purpose for your life. And he's wired you a certain way so that the people around you in the body of Christ right now can be edified by that 
And then he's put that in you so that you would be in a certain place in this culture that you might reach people outside of his family and invite them into his family that I will never get to. There are people that will talk to me. There's a whole lot more people that will talk to you. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, mm. (laughs) but you're a small business owner or a teacher or love a conversation. I'm just kidding. I, I have lots of conversations and God has put me right in my neighborhood because people want to talk to a pastor. It's so funny. People that do not believe what I believe, but will give me as much time as I'm willing to give to talk about it. God's put you where you need to be. Walk in God's ways. Do what he's called you to do. The more you spend time with him, the more you'll know what he's called you to do. Number three, love God. I'm not even going to comment on this. I'm just going to read some scripture from 1 John chapter 4, right? Listen to this. I love this. It just puts a smile on my face, and I think it will you too. 1 John 4, 15 to 21. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. If you're declaring that Jesus is Lord today, God is with you. God is for you. He is living through you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. And then look at this. And so we know and what? Rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. How should you respond to everything in the world right now? Love. Love. You can still talk about the truth, but if you don't do it in love, God's not living in you. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, even in the end times, which maybe we're in it. Who knows? People ask me that. I don't know. I'm on the welcoming committee. I'm not on the uh, determining committee. Okay. Look at this. On the day of judgment in this world, we are like Jesus. That's your job. That's your purpose. That's what you do. Do it the way God's called you to do it. In love. That sounds scary. Day of judgment. No, it's not. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, God's love, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love. Why? I love this verse. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Strong language. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's powerful. If you want to know what God requires of us, there it is. Because as you fall in love with God, knowing that he fell in love with you and gave his life for you, you can't help but look around at everybody else around you and try to offer them the same love that has been given to you because perfect love drives out fear. I can listen to you and love you and walk with you. Even if we don't completely agree on everything that's going on around us. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Number four, serve God. 
I wrestled with that one this week, like that, those other beautiful, big, awesome concepts about God and then serve God. What, what does that mean in this context? What, what, did, what was Israel a beacon of light for in the Old Testament? And, and here, here's what I think it boils down to. Because when you look at Acts 17.25, look at what it says. It says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Right? Why do I serve God? God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. Why do we serve God? Why does he say serve him? I mean, he gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Don't you just love John's or uh, Acts language there? <laughs> he just starts listing stuff, right? He says, you know, he gives mankind life and breath and everything. <laughs> he just gives everything. From the pen of Luke, he's, he's a doctor. He's like, you know what? Just all of it. It's all from God. And we, we understand that. So what does it mean to serve God? What is the usefulness of that if God doesn't need anything? Here's what I think it means. It means to submit to him in a way that makes him look thrilling. What... What would be a different kind of submission than the one we see in our world today? Can I count on you for your vote? Eh, probably not. Because you're crazy. <laughs> but God, I can count on him. What would it look like if I trusted him so much that I would submit to his ways? That I would serve him in such a way that people around me knew that I thought serving God was thrilling. That means you're going to need to figure out your purpose. You're going to need to figure out what your spiritual gift is. The Bible says God gave us apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He talks about every member of the body being created for something and not all of them to be seen, some to not be seen, but that they were integral to the movement of Christ. So if you're a pinky toe, you're just as important as the mouth. What would it look like for us to submit to God that didn't make him look threatening, but thrilling? There are ways to do what he says that only call attention to the fact that he is a treasure and not just an authority. Make no mistake, he's an authority, but he's also a treasure. Finding your purpose leads to all sorts of freedom in Christ. We have growth track. Jerome would love to meet with you. I would love to meet with you and help you figure out what that looks like. Coming up in the fall, we're going to do a growth track live. We want to, we want to do life. We want to help you get connected in city groups and to your purpose and to live that out and serve God in such a way that you are thrilled with your God because he's awesome and he loves you. So number five, how do I do that? We keep God's commands. I initially thought, why are all these in here? Don't they mean the same thing? But they don't. They build on each other, don't they? They build on each other. And so if I serve them in such a way that makes them look thrilling, that's why Jesus can say this in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commands. Right? You can read that as though God's thrilling or threatening. If you love me, keep my commands. Or maybe he's thrilling. If you love me, 
You're going to keep my commands. Why? Because in John 15, just a chapter later, he says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And a little bit farther, that my, what? Joy may be in you and that you might find life to the full. God's giving you these things for your good and if you'll walk in them, you will find not just any joy in life, but the thrilling joy of God complete in your life. Kevin's going to come up and sing for us. I want, to, I want to end with a quote by a guy that I love to listen to. I'm not going to tell you his name because then you'll be thinking about him instead of God. But I didn't write this. That's my point. I love this statement. And you should play. It'll make it sound better. I need some help. Here's the statement. Thinking about just all the things that... All the things that we just talked about here's the statement God is seen as glorious when all of our serving is moment by moment receiving from God's supply we receive this supply by faith that is we trust moment by moment right where we where we go today day by day as the people of God that moment by moment That what we need in serving Him, He will supply, right? We read life and breath and everything. Here it is. This is the opposite of being anxious. Such kind of serving is happy. And it makes God look no less authoritative. He's still in charge. He's still Lord. But infinitely more desirable. Amen. Amen. I'll ask Kevin to just sing that chorus for us again about fear. That we're no longer slaves to fear. No matter what the headlines look like tomorrow, as the people of God, you are not a slave to fear. What does the Lord require of us? We know. And we can live in love. Because those who live in love, God lives in them and abides in them. Amen. So Kevin, why don't you lead us in that song. And then I'll come back up and close us out here in a second. Sing this with us.